I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Hey, everybody. Lieutenant Joe here, and we are back together again. Now, this 1 o'clock time on weekdays, I think I really do like it. It It is reminiscent of when I used to listen to talk radio. I started a long time ago. I started listening to WABC in New York because I'm in New Jersey, so we get that station. And I listened to the great Bob Grant. Now, Bob Grant was uh, a pioneer in talk radio, especially the way he expanded what he talked about, how he talked about it. He gave a lot of credit to Joe Pine, who was a, uh, a predecessor of his. I never listened to Joe Pine. He was before my time. But I, I got on there and I listened to Bob Grant. Get off my phone. Right? He, he was an amazing guy. Very, very, very smart. He actually lived in New Jersey. Uh, not far from here, actually. Um, with his beloved Josephine. I think that was uh, his, his life companion, Josephine. What I liked about Bob is that he gave his his feelings on things, his belief on things, and he backed it up with information. He didn't just say, well, I think this is stupid. He said, I think this is stupid, and here's why. And I enjoyed that because I did learn. Now, I didn't learn because Bob Grant was telling me, and I just believed it. Bob Grant would say things which catch my attention, and I would say, hmm, that sounds interesting. Let me look into that a little bit. But then again, I've been a criminal investigator my whole life, so that was my, my nature, even as a young person. I hear something, somebody would say something in school, and I didn't just believe it because somebody I liked or, or thought was smart or cool said it. I said, oh, that's interesting. Let me, uh, let me go look into that. And that was the, that's the idea of talk radio, and that's what I do here. So many of you will hear me uh, talk about the ideas of what I try and bring in here. I don't tell anybody what they should think. Who the hell am I to tell anybody what they should think? I simply express my thoughts and my opinions on things that come up in the world, things that interest me or things that I find important or things that I think we need to talk about as a society or things that happen in my life. I try and bring this information here to to all of us so that we spend this time together. Radio is a is a very intimate uh, medium. It's not like TV. TV, I guess, could be. But TV is much more about flash and looks and production values. When it comes to radio, it's you and me sitting here together, whether you're in your car, you're at home, you're having your lunch, you're taking a nap, whatever it is you're doing. Radio is very intimate. And that's how it was for me as a listener. I remember as a young person, I, I, I was a landscaper, and I would bring my AM radio with me. And uh, all the person, all the guys I worked with, they were like, what are you listening to, man? Put on WNEW. Let's listen to rock and roll. And I love rock and roll. I was a guitar player for years. I still am. I love rock and roll. I love music. But at the same time, I loved talk radio because it engaged my mind. It made me think about things I never thought about. I wasn't politically astute when I was a young person. I didn't know any better. I just listened to the news like everybody else when I heard a news clip or I heard my friends talking about something or, or somebody, you know, an, an authority, a teacher or a boss or somebody, their opinion 
was my opinion because what the hell did I know? And if I like these people, I, I must be right. But what talk radio taught me was to expand your universe, expand your thinking by listening to other thoughts and other ideas. So to this day, I still will go over to some of the left-wing news programs just to get a perspective on what they're talking about. You know, people say all the time, you only listen to one thing. You're a right-wing America Out Loud guy. You listen to Fox News. That's all you listen to. So that's all you think. No, it's not true. I go to CNN. I go to MSNBC um, or MSLSD, as the great, great one Mark Levin calls them. I go to these other places to see what they're saying. What is it they're talking about? What are their opinions? What are facts that they bring to the table that maybe I should consider? That is what a thinking person does. And sometimes, you know, you'll hear me make reference to uh, people sitting in their basements in their underwear taking notes. And the reason that I, that I say that is because as someone who is, I think I'm, I'm pretty much uh, down the road uh, with, uh, I'm a conservative more than I am anything else, but I'm a thinker. I'm a compassionate person. I, I love people. I love all people. I find beauty in all of the human beings that God put on this planet. I judge people by what they do, not who they are, not where they come from. I don't care who loves who. That's none of my business. You know, if, if that's a problem, you're going to have to deal with your maker about whatever you do in life. But I don't care who you love. You know, more love is better than no love, I always say. You know, so as I go through this, I, I, try, and, I try and think. And there's people that have written to uh, my employer. Do you realize that Lieutenant Joe said this? Uh, they have uh, they have emailed me. We have uh, we've copied nine things down that you said about this. And I think I back up everything I say uh, pretty clearly. My goal here is to give you things to think about so that you can go through them. I'm trying to close that circle that Bob Grant gave to me. Uh, I remember when he used to talk about Mario Cuomo, Mario the Magnificent, and he used to say, uh, he had a saying, it was pretty funny, and cause he, he didn't agree with Mario Cuomo, was, Cuomo was a liberal, and say, Mario, accendame, does it provano svachim, and he is, and he used to say that all the time, and that became a very funny thing, and we, when you listen to Bob, you would say it along with him, and you would laugh, I don't know exactly what it means, but I know it means Mario Cuomo was a dope, and Bob didn't like him, so... I, I, I want to thank that. But that's that's the beauty of talk radio. You know, the beauty of America Out Loud is it's the next incarnation of amazing talk radio. You go up and down the dial here through the shows, through all the different programs. Go to the website, americaoutloud.news. Go there and take a look and see all the different voices and opinions and ideas that are out here. If you like talk radio, then... America Out Loud is your place. I mean, that's why you're here now. You know, hopefully you like me. Hopefully you get what I'm saying. I'm trying to trying to tell you what to do or to say. I talk about things, and you can talk about them. Matter of fact, if you go on that website, AmericaOutloud.news, you can look up uh, Chasing Justice, and you can email me. You can send me emails if you have questions, you have thoughts, you have ideas of your own, things you want me to talk about, things you want to explore. That's what's great about this, this entire platform is that it is very interactive now. You can listen to the other hosts. You know, they're all absolutely amazing with different points of view, and that's all what's good. So as, as, I, 
as I guess I evolved in my um, my listening and my learning. So there was the great Bob Grant, and I actually spoke to Bob Grant a couple of times. I called him on the phone, and I, you know, hey, how are you, Bob? And we talked about whatever. It, it was interesting. He came on at 10 o'clock in the morning from 10, or was he in the afternoon? I'm trying to remember. He, they moved him around at the end of his career because um, he became controversial because he talked about a lot of conservative things. So they moved him around uh, as, the, as the station got nervous. But the, the next great talk radio person I heard was Rush Limbaugh. And I remember, I, was, I know exactly where I was. It's one of those things, you know, if, uh, and anybody who likes Rush Limbaugh, and most of us do, most of us conservatives like Rush Limbaugh, no matter, you, you remember when you first heard him, it was so different. It was, uh, for, for those people who are old enough or young enough to remember, it's like in the, in the early 80s, the late 70s, early 80s, we were inundated with disco. And disco took over all the music and rock and roll really, you know, rock guitar stuff really took a hit and went slowed down and disco was everything. And then one day on the radio, you heard Eddie Van Halen and Van Halen and you were just blown away by the new, the new kids on the block, man. These guys were just, they took the same guitars, drums, bass and singers and keyboards and they turned it into something new that revived rock and roll and really push disco out of the way. Well, that's what America Out Loud is now. America Out Loud is the next um, next thing in talk radio. But w when I think about Rush Limbaugh, I, I know exactly where I was. I was in my yard cleaning up. Uh, we had dropped some trees and I was cleaning up all the branches and I was listening to my talk radio. And I used to li listen to this uh, on ABC. At 10 o'clock in the morning, there was a very, very liberal woman on. Her name was Lynn Samuels. She could not have been more New York City liberal than you could ever imagine. And I listened to her. And you know why I listened to her? Because she was entertaining. Because she didn't just say liberal stuff and say, if you don't agree with me, you're a hater. She would say, this is what I think. And here's why I think it. And she would give her point of view. And I remember going, wow, uh, she's fun to listen to. She's realistic. You know, she wasn't one of these liberals with her head in the sand that just, you know, if it doesn't fit the doctrine, I can't believe it. She would be willing to listen and learn. And she was a lot of fun and I enjoyed her. And then all of a sudden the commercials came on, you know, the, the break. And then uh, you hear, don't, don't, do, 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 It's go going to Ohio is the song by the pretenders. And on comes this guy named Rush Lim Limbaugh. Everybody, I'm Rush Limbaugh. And he goes into this spiel and he did his thing. And I'm listening to the show. He was entertaining. He was topical. He was fun. He was smart as hell. And then he did his, uh, you know, uh, what was his parodies? ta lot ta lot ta lot ta lot And he did Now, what was great about that is that the show was the be-all and end-all for people who listen to talk radio. Because Rush didn't tell you what to think. He, he said the reason people like him is not because he tells them what to think, but that he expresses what they're already thinking and he fleshes it out. And I find that to be absolutely true. I mean, the things that Rush would say, be like, well, I believe that, but I never articulated it like that. I never understood the, all the component parts of, of why I felt like that. I just believed that I, I like that or I, I believe that, whatever. And Rush was great. And, and he had all these little skits, right? He had uh, the little songs and and it really also expanded your your point of view. It helped you expand 
my thought process and and it was entertaining right so i'm not a rush limbaugh you know uh i i try and uh if you go back in the podcasts which you can we have five years worth of podcasts here on the platform of chasing justice you know we had some some funny episodes in the beginning you know we were trying to figure out who we were and i have the guys in the neighborhood and they're coming back and i keep saying that it's just it's really hard to get everybody together right now everybody's you know busy but we're, we're, it's a goal. Everybody has now voiced their desire to get back together. You know, one of the one of the guys in the group that come on and give us our opinions and are fun to talk to and listen to them lost his wife to COVID, and he's a young guy, and he's been knocked out of it for a couple of years, and he's finally coming back. So I'm glad to to say that that and the, and the other fellows are all ready to go. So go back and listen to the guys in the neighborhood on the on the podcast in the back it's really a good thing so that's been my evolution and that's what i'm trying to pass on here because a lot of people at one o'clock maybe didn't listen when i was on at a previous time a different time but i'm here now and i'm i'm very happy to be at one o'clock we talk about a lot of stuff here so in a recent episode we were talking about uh the changing of the guard the 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 changing of the paradigm now charging parents because of the actions of their children and we we talked about that we got we got to consider what to do as a society is that the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do um can you hold parents accountable well kids can do some things on their own and other things they can't so we talked about that so today we're going to move on a little bit um what i want you to consider today is the problem of fentanyl in our society and what what fentanyl has has caused havoc uh to so many people in our in our country so fentanyl is a synthetic opioid now opioids were a a medical miracle uh when they were developed and they've been around opioids been around forever and ever if you remember maybe some point in your life you you read about or heard about opium dens well opium dens were very popular places people realized that the uh the drug opium could be eaten it could be smoked and as time went by um it would it could be ingested through a needle and we found that opioids had tremendous pain relief properties so therefore people who were suffering terrible pain for whatever could be from a cancer from an injury many of our soldiers on the battlefield who were severely injured we could find relief for them through an opioid well the opi the opium dens where people used to go and pay money to sit down and smoke opium and you get super high and what we didn't realize i guess from for a long time maybe they did i don't know if it's in the, the literature but opium is extremely addictive so when you synthesize raw opium which comes from the poppy plant you know poppy plants produce opium uh, and you create this raw opium this sticky gooey stuff you slice the plant there's a big bulb when the petals of the flower fall off and you slice the bulb and it starts to drip this uh fluid which is raw opium you gather that up when it gets sticky and dry and you wad it into a bowl and then they dry out and then you can smoke it you can put it in food uh in later years we realized uh, i guess the medical world realized the medicinal properties we could use for for uh, opium the addictive quality is what's really the problem 
So it was synthesized into many different things. One of the first things it was synthesized into was heroin. Right? Heroin is a form of opium, natural opium, which uh, provides pain relief and is used illicitly in the world now. Uh, mostly it's injected, but the big uh, heroin thing came to America in the 60s and it really took over culturally and we had a lot of junkies. All of a sudden we had junkies. We didn't have that word before, but now we have junkies. Now, I suppose there were always people addicted uh, to opium. We see it in some of the books, some of the characters that we read about. They, they used opium. They smoked opium. Well, it, it became widespread cultural, uh, counterculture thing to do to do heroin and people got really addicted and it was terrible. Well, then we started to see it in the needle, right? You could use it in a needle and doctors used it. So they synthesized heroin. Then they synthesized out of it morphine. Morphine is another opiate, which is very, very powerful a pain reliever. And it's been used properly and improperly for years and years and years. Fentanyl is a synthetic form of opium. Uh, it's chemical. It's made of chemicals and it, it, it mimics the activities of opium, and, but it's, it can be a hundred to a thousand times stronger than regular opium or heroin or morphine. So a lot of times, we, I think it really was developed into a pain reliever used for medicine. Probably, let me think, maybe the late 1990s. I don't, I don't have the specific dates on it. I know when I came across it, when I was a law enforcement officer, we saw a wave of heroin that we hadn't seen for, for years, even as a, a young person. I was uh, 72, I was 10 years old in 72, and heroin had already taken a grip on the young community, music community, rock and rollers, and, and all that kind of stuff. By the time I was 20, um, it was uh, it was now a chic thing, and I started to see kids were, young kids, my age, in their 20s, and younger, were now afraid of the needle. You know, we all grew up, nobody wanted the needle. The junkie in our mind in the late 70s and was this, this guy or girl sitting in a corner, filthy, dirty, sores all over their body, shooting some nasty needle of heroin into their arm, right? And passing out. Nobody wanted any part of that. You know, the culture that was around when I was a kid was uh, pot smoking. Everybody smoked pot and drank beer. And that was like a big deal. Everybody, oh, everybody was getting high and this and that. And you did not go near heroin. You knew some people who did it, but again, it was small numbers. Then cocaine took off. Uh, cocaine was huge. It was everywhere. Everybody was doing cocaine. Um, it, it, you go every party you went to, somebody had some cocaine or you, whatever, but you still didn't have heroin. Then sometime at some point uh, after that, we started to see young people who were afraid of a needle. They would be using uh, heroin to uh, sniff it. They were sniffing heroin because it, there was no needle involved and they could just uh, get high because you get the same effect uh, from the needle as you do from um, from shooting it in your arm. And it's just as addictive. It is just as um, same exact effects. You still nod out. You still can pass out. You can have all these problems. And I, at some point, and this is what I, I don't mean to be to dance around this. I'm just trying to think of when this happened. I knew a friend of mine. I was an adult and I was married. And as law enforcement, though, we around the 90s is when we saw this heroin all of a sudden come back. All these kids were sniffing heroin, sniffing heroin, sniffing heroin. 
And then these kids got addicted and they went from sniffing heroin to shooting heroin because that's the natural progression. Your body builds up an immunity. You need more. And these kids, instead of being cool at a party and sniffing a half a bag, splitting it with a friend and getting really high, then they were sniffing a bag on their own. Then they were sniffing two bags on their own. Then they were at home sniffing heroin. And then at some point, it was not efficient method. And then they started shooting heroin with needles. Suddenly, the needle was no longer a thing to be feared. It was the delivery method that people were going to. And this was not just the dirty girl or guy in the corner with sores. This was now affecting every part of society, every group, every racial group, every age group of, of young people. And you started to see heroin becoming a huge problem. And then as that progressed, you saw people dying of heroin. And that's the heroin wave that came in. And I got to say, 98, 99, 1999, all of a sudden it was just everywhere. It exploded on the scene. And, and then we started to have people dying from heroin. Well, 1999, 2000, I'm going to say about 2003 is when I became aware of what fentanyl was because we had never heard of it. And it was a medical drug, a synthetic opium. And a friend of mine had a really bad accident and he was injured, had huge amounts of back damage. And he had to take, uh, he had service, uh, you know, uh, surgeries, multiple surgeries. And the guy was in lots and lots of pain and they couldn't manage it with the pills. So they gave him what was called a fentanyl patch. Now we're all familiar with that today. It's a transdermal patch that has the fentanyl in it. You put, you put it on, it's sticky, you stick it on your body somewhere and slowly but surely the fentanyl leaches from the uh, package through your skin transdermally into your body and it gives you constant pain relief and it's very powerful. Remember, 100 to 1,000 times stronger than uh, heroin, morphine, or opiate. And you would get relief from your long-term pain, but you also got addicted. So my friend um, had, had such terrible back pain, but I remember him saying that he had these, uh, these fentanyl patches. That's what the doctor gave him. And I'm like, really, does it work? He goes, oh my God, it's unbelievable. Knocks it right out of you, man, helps me to sleep, everything. Well, over the course of time, I was still law enforcement at that time, we started to get warnings that you gotta be careful because if you have somebody in your community who has got, got, uh, got cancer or some other disease or injury where they're giving them fentanyl patches, when the people take the patch off, because it's, it's good for, wear this for a week and then change it for a new one or whatever the prescription was, they would throw them in the garbage. And they were still very, very potent. So if you came across a fentanyl patch at somebody's house during a search warrant or an arrest or whatever, you had, uh, if you touched it, it would go through your skin just like it does on the patch. And we started to have officers uh, having problems by touching these things. We also then found people who were addicted started to understand what fentanyl was and that if they found someone who was on fentanyl, and they found it in the garbage because they go looking through garbage for pills. And then they found these fentanyl patches. They would take them and use them. And now you had these people running around with these things everywhere to the point that we started to see overdoses now from fentanyl because it's 100 to 1,000 times stronger than heroin. So that brings us to where we are now. I mean, you know, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward to where we are, where almost all of these illicit drugs that people take uh, heroin, cocaine, marijuana, pills uh, are, are laced with fentanyl because it's cheap and it's very powerful. So if you sell somebody a pill and you tell them it's, uh, this is uh, 
Percocet, which is an opiate, uh, uh, but they make them themselves and they put fentanyl in it. Boy, they're 10 times stronger and people are willing to pay the money because they get addicted and they have to come back for more and more and more and more. So this is where we are with this fentanyl. Now we see fentanyl deaths are the number one deaths out there for of, of overdose and abuse because fentanyl's in all these things. It's in marijuana. It's in Kids think they're buying a Ritalin pill, which is for people with attention deficit disorder, supposed to calm you down or whatever. And it's laced with fentanyl. So that's why you're seeing young people who are not a potentially, or not known to be addicted, suddenly dying because they, they bought what they thought was one kind of drug and it had fentanyl in it and they take it and it kills them because it's that powerful. There are police officers that'll be searching a car and they come across some kind of drug and they're touching it. It goes right through their skin. They're overdosing uh, because they didn't realize what it was. So fentanyl uh, in our society has now become uh, ubiquitous with American life. We have between 70 and 100,000 people dying each year now because of fentanyl. And where is the fentanyl made? Is it made in America? I'm sure some is. Most of it is made in foreign places. The Chinese have the precursors. It's made, mixed up and together and created in Mexico. And then it is brought across the border and distributed to networks across the country where who then turn around and use it and for their purposes to sell it. And we have 70 to 100,000 people a year, American citizens dying over fentanyl. Recently in Florida, there was a young girl, three years old, and she was uh, in a living room doing whatever. And she came across a little pill, looked like a candy. She ate it and she died almost immediately because it was fentanyl pills uh, the parents were using. And I, my own experience with that, we, we had done a, uh, a search warrant on a, a young man. I guess he was like 22 or 23. He was selling um, cocaine and he was selling ecstasy pills. Now, ecstasy pills are a whole nother, uh, a whole nother medication um, MDMA, uh, and we're gonna, we'll go into that maybe in another time, but MDMA is what ecstasy is, right? And it was very popular, and kids were buying it all over the place. We did this search warrant, and we hit the house, and the father of the kid was very upset. My kid don't do that till we showed him. Look what we found in the room. Look what we found under his bed. And there was lots and lots of pills and all this shit. And what we did is we had him sit, we had him come out and sit on a couch, which is common practice in a raid. You know, you but before you have somebody sit on it you have to clear the couch so the officers were clearing all the all the uh, all the rooms clearing all the chairs in the room in the living room where everyone was going to sit and they lifted up the couch cushion and underneath there were two colored pills and they were ecstasy pills and in the house was a four-year-old and the little four-year-old uh, had found one of these pills and grandpa, or the father, the kid's father, uh, said, this is, looks weird. I don't know what this is. And he took it away from the kid and threw it away, didn't realize. When we lifted up the couch cushions and we found ecstasy pills under there, the father realized what his little grandson had picked up in the room. And she says, hey, that's what those things are? That's these pills that my son is selling? Yeah. What if my four-year-old would have eaten one, my grandson? I said, he'd probably be dead. Well, this father wanted to throw his son out the window when he realized the dangers. So these things have been with us for a long time. All right, we'll talk more about this in a minute when we come back. 
Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order, risk-free. Love it or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. Oral hygiene hasn't changed in 50 years, but our diet and the way we eat has, creating an environment in your mouth for bacteria to wreak havoc on your teeth and gums. For better oral health, Get Spry Dental Defense, an oral care line designed to combat acid-creating bacteria. The toothpaste, mouthwash, mints, and gum all contain xylitol, a natural ingredient shown to dramatically improve oral health. Spry can be found online and at all fine natural retailers. ASEA believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them. From improving immune health and supporting gut health to reducing the appearance of wrinkles and even improving mind, mood, and energy. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. ASEA, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. Many voices, one freedom, united in the First Amendment. Our goal is to herald the voice of genuine liberty at AmericaOutloud.news. A place where you'll find the naked truth expressed with a patriotic heart. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all. All right, we're back. Um, I lost track of time there in the first segment, so I apologize. But my point was is that these drugs were in the house and they, they were available to other people and people take them by accident. So that brings us to the recent... Uh, reports of three guys at a at a house in Kansas City where the three men, grown men with families, married, children, uh, went for a football party to watch the Kansas City Chiefs game. And the next day or two days later, when these men didn't come home, they were missing persons. They went searching around. They called the guy's house who's having a party. He didn't answer the phone. So finally, somebody discovered three men, three grown adult men in the backyard dead. Right? And it was like it was freezing temperatures out there, 27, 28. It was very cold. And nobody knew what happened to them. And it, it became a, a, a newsworthy item for a long time. Three men at a football game die, and they're not junkies. They're not street people. These were three regular guys married with kids and jobs and everything, and they went to watch football at a buddy's house, drink some beers and watch football. And three of them end up dead. Well, the homeowner, the guy who, who hosted the party, he told police that he didn't know his friends were out there. Uh, he had slept for the most of two days. Uh, and its story starts to sound weird. Well, as a, as a trained investigator and as a person who has dealt with narcotics, I was on the narcotics unit for a long time, did a lot of narcotics work. You start to know that, you know, three healthy men don't all die 
at one time. They don't all decide it's 27 degrees, let's sit down and take a nap and die of hypothermia. There had to be something that rendered them unconscious where they could not function, uh, and then they were overcome by the weather. You know, your body is 98.6 is a normal temperature. You get down to 80 and your heart stops. You have a cardiac arrest, and that's how people freeze to death. Hypothermia you know, can kill you. So when I heard this, I'm saying to myself, there has to be something involved, some kind of drug that they, they took willingly. Somebody could have dosed them at the party. Um, they could have taken it thinking it was something else to get high. You know, people in America, it's right now, culturally, it's, it's cool to take drugs. It's cool, right? Uh, it's the thing. We see some states like Portland, or Port cities in Portland, Oregon, uh, decriminalizing all drugs, heroin, cocaine, everything is decriminalized. And we see that trend in America. You know, this whole idea of freedom uh, can be can be perverted at some point. You sure it's freedom? You want to, and that's the argument people make. If you want to be able to take cocaine, you should be able to take it. You know, I guess uh, I guess there's something to that. You want to take heroin? You should be able to take it. Sure. The problem is, is 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 a couple of things. First of all, if you just make that stuff. Ill, uh, legal and, p and people can have it and there's no penalty for it, then you're going to get a lot of people who never, ever in their lives would try heroin or cocaine or ecstasy or any of these substances. They would never try them in their life. They wouldn't do it. Once you make it legal, eh, I'll give it a try. I'll give it a try. And many of those people who just give it a try, some are going to like it. Some are going to like it a lot. Some are not going to like it. But you're going to find people who never would have been addicted to these substances, they're going to become addicted. And then their lives are going to get ruined. Their families are going to get ruined. They're going to crash their cars. They're going to cause society all kinds of problems. And that's why these dangerous drugs that have no legitimate purpose other than getting high are illegal to maintain a society that is not chaotic. Right. So the, the whole idea that you, if you want to take it, you should be able to take it. Sure. As long as it has no effects on anyone else, I would say yes. But what we have seen, let's take Portland as an example. They're going to lead the way and all drugs are all drugs are legal. Everybody can do whatever they want to do. And now we have seen the numbers of addicted people, the overdose deaths, the problems that they're having there. So overwhelming that even a, a MAGA, not MAGA, sorry, mega liberal place like Portland, who was like, oh, free, free everything, free love, free drugs, do what you want. They are now talking about recriminalizing drugs and they have to do something about the overdose deaths and the culture of drugs. It's everywhere. Uh, I saw uh, some people being interviewed that live there and like, I get the idea. People want to get high. That's cool. But now it's it's all over the street. We got junkies on the street. We got robberies because people need money to buy their drugs. And it's a nightmare. And that's what happened. So now we look back to the guys in Kansas City. You say to yourself, something had to happen. They had to be involved with some kind of drug, either knowingly or unknowingly. Well, the uh, toxicology report is always the last report to come in when there's a, a death, suspicious death or homicide death, whatever, because it takes a long time in the lab to, f to get to it. There's just lots of them, lots of blood tests, right? Well, apparently the toxicology came back and they had fentanyl in their body. Now that makes sense because fentanyl can put you right out. If you take it in certain doses, it kills you. That's why people die of fentanyl overdose deaths. Uh, and the guy who, who was the, the party host, he said he slept for a couple days. That might make sense. If he took enough fentanyl, it just knocked him out and he was out for a long period of time. 
uh, the quantity, the quality, the other kind of drugs they might have taken, who knows. But uh, that is now going to become part of the investigation. And if it's if it was given to them and they died, uh, there's a thing known as strict liability law in many states. So if I give you a drug, either sell it to you or hand it to you because you're my friend and I share it with you and you die, I am responsible because I gave it to you. That's strict liability in a death. So now the investigation goes from initially it was not a homicide investigation. It was not a suspicious death. Um, now it's going to be a possibly a homicide investigation to figure out who gave who the drugs. So the uh, guy who had the house, who lived, uh, I heard Dr. Baden, he's a very famous uh, pathologist, and he said, well, if, three, if they all took it and they started to get high and three guys went outside to have a cigarette, to talk, to smoke a joint, whatever they went out, go out to do, uh, and they start to get tired, they might all sit down and then they three pass out. Main time in the house where it's nice and warm, that guy passes out. So the three guys are outside in the freezing weather and they're unconscious now. They can no longer function. They can't get themselves to safety. Their body temperature is going to drop and eventually they have a cardiac arrest and die due to the fentanyl overdose. The guy inside passes out in a nice warm house and he sleeps it off. So we see this. This is the danger of these drugs. And these three guys that took this, if they thought they were taking fentanyl, well, that's a shame on them. They shouldn't take fentanyl. We all know how bad fentanyl is. If they thought they were taking something else, that would just be fun. Maybe they thought they were going to take an ecstasy pill or they were going to take a little LSD and have a little trip. I don't know who these guys were, what they were all about. But I do know in the world, lots of people party and they party in all kinds of ways. And there was fentanyl laced in it that they didn't know about. That's a shame that they lost their lives over that. So the guy in the house, he ran to rehab. He went to get himself in a rehab. Well, what do you have to rehab from? Why are you going to a rehab unless you've been using drugs? Now, they say he's a chemist. This guy's a chemist. He survived. So he mixes all kinds of different things. Was he mixing different drugs, trying to get a really super high that wouldn't kill them? And it killed three of his friends? I don't know. I, I can't speculate. It's what it looks like. I guess the, uh, the if there is a criminal case brought, they'll do it. The smartest thing this guy could say and again, this all depends on the evidence in the house. When the cops finally got there, they didn't treat it as a uh, criminal investigation. So I don't know that they searched. They did a search warrant. They did drug testing. I don't know what they did. The smartest thing this guy could say is, well, one of the dead guys brought this and gave it to all of us. And we took it. You know, he had it and gave it to me. I didn't give it to him. And then that would kind of remove the liability from him. And I'm sure his attorneys have thought of that. But it all depends. If the police went in and found uh, drugs all over the place, uh, they found precursors and fentanyl mixers and all that, then the guy probably has a serious problem if they bring a criminal investigation. My point being is that the fentanyl crisis in America is killing thousands and thousands and thousands of people who, who otherwise would not be dead. Legalizing drugs, sure, it's freedom but it does affect other people. It affects their families, affects their lives. People will ruin their own lives by partying. How many people do you know, good and decent people, who had an injury of some kind and they were given pain pills by their doctor? Percocet, Percodan, uh, all these kind of things. Uh, and they became addicted to them over long periods of time. And we start to see, I know personally a friend of mine who had a very bad injury, an older person, and 
went to the doctor and said, I'm in excruciating pain. Doctor gave him a Percocet and he was eating tons and tons of Percocet. And when the doctor realized that he was addicted, he panicked and said, okay, I can't give you any more, which happens to a lot. A lot of doctors, oh my gosh, uh-oh, I got my patient addicted. I'm not going to give you any more pills. So that doesn't stop the addiction or the cravings. So this friend decided to go out in the world and find pills on his own. And he was very, very lucky. One night he was in a seedy area where they sell a lot of drugs on the street. And he was driving up and down looking for somebody to buy him from. And a patrol officer, a patrol officer working his shift, noticed this man was out of place in the neighborhood. Um, he was older than most people in the neighborhood. And he saw his behaviors mimicked someone looking for drugs, right? Because you learn that after a while. There's lots of things that you can observe, make observations as a police officer. And he stops my friend and says, uh, hey, listen, what are you doing here? And my friend, who's a good and decent person, uh, ended up telling the officer why he was there. And the, the cop said to him, listen, you better get out of here and you better go get yourself some help. Because if I see you here again, we're going to arrest you, charge you and all that, which, okay, that's one way to handle it. But the advice he gave him was, you better help. And my friend realized, I'm driving around a drug area of a town looking to buy street drugs because I'm addicted. And he went and put himself in a lockdown drug rehab for six months, and he beat it. And he got his life back together. Now, that addiction stays with him forever uh, to this day. He's concerned about taking any kind of medication because he knows what that addiction can do and how fast it comes on. So fentanyl that is pouring over our borders, killing thousands and thousands and thousands of our fellow citizens, our children, uh, all age people. That's coming in because our borders are wide open. Because people who will do bad things, who will take advantage will do bad things when they have an opportunity. And the opportunity of a wide open border, like we have now under President Biden, is directly responsible for those deaths. Now, if anybody hears me talk, I say there's personal responsibility. People who are using the drug, I agree. I agree. They decide they're going to get high or they want to be like important. We want to get high. It's our right to get high. We're going to get high. And then they you know, destroy their lives. Yes, there is some responsibility on those people. But if the drug wasn't available, if the fentanyl wasn't out there, then they couldn't take it. And they'd either have to rehab themselves, or they would have to do something else, but they wouldn't be taking fentanyl and dying in such huge numbers. So if the borders were closed, we would have a more orderly society. Look at look at now, and I'm going to segue into the border and Mayorkas and, and a couple other things now. But I want to talk about that fentanyl to set the stage for what's going on here. The wide open border has caused havoc, suffering, death, and chaos, not only to those people addicted to, to, addicted to a fentanyl and who are using it and dying, but think about it. The men, women, and children who are having to deal with the cartels coming through Mexico to get to our border. We know that the women and children are brutalized. They are sexually assaulted on the way. They are sold into the sex trade in the United States when they get here. We know this is a fact. 
we know that tons and tons of fentanyl is coming across the border, being distributed around the country and sent out in different kinds of drugs and people are dying by in droves, in droves. We know that that's true because of the open border. So let's just look at the human suffering of the people who want to come here. So there's lots of arguments. What are we going to call? Are they migrants? Are they this? Are they that? And I've said many times, I think most of the people who are trying to get here are trying to get here for a better life. And you can't really blame them. They want to come for a better life. They want to uh, have a better life. Uh, and I get that. But it doesn't mean they can still just come, right? It's, it's not their country. It's America. American citizens have rights. Our borders uh, are, are def def definitive things that have to be protected. That's what makes a country a sovereign country. It has borders. It has laws. And the people of America, uh, we, are, we built this country. We put it together. Now, do we need immigrants? We do. Immigration is a vital part of a healthy society because you bring in different people that have different skills, different abilities that will do different things that your country needs. So I'm not against immigration. Back in, back in my family, they're Italian and Irish. They, uh, they immigrated here. Uh, they brought with themselves skills and they had opportunities and they, they made lives for themselves. So I get why people want to come. I don't blame those people who want to come for a better life. The problem is when it's unregulated, when the border is wide open, not only do the good people come in that want a better life, but what comes in with them are the demons, the criminals, the drug dealers, the sex traffickers, the cartel personnel, the gang members, the robbers, the rapers, right? Now, I remember when Trump said that, that people coming over, robbers and rapers, oh my God, the left went crazy because they, they wanted to label him a racist because he's saying it because they're, they're brown people, they're Mexican, they're coming, they're all robbers and rapists. And that's not what he was saying. That's not what he was saying. What he was saying was there are robbers and rapists and criminals and drug dealers coming with those people over the border. They're blending in and they're coming over here and doing what they're doing. So having a wide open border causes human suffering to the people who are trying to get here. The women and children who are abused, who are sexually assaulted, who are treated like human garbage the whole way that they get here. Then they're crossed the border and they're sold into sex slavery here. Not all of them, not every single one, but how many is enough for you? What makes it okay for you? Only one? One little girl, one little nine-year-old girl, uh, one 30-year-old one woman, or is it 10? If it's 10, boy, that starts to bother you. What if it's 100? How about 1,000 young girls and boys sold into sex slavery who were abused here in America? Is that okay with you? Does that, does that suit your liberal leaning to open the border, let everybody in? It's only fair. America's bad. How about the human suffering of those people? You see, so just opening the border causes human suffering to the people who want to come here. Then you see, comes with it, drugs and gangs and criminals and other people that come in here to hurt us. How about the terrorists? I think there's 300 and something known terrorists who have gotten into our country. And then there's almost a million of what they call gotaways. Now we've heard that term, gotaways. What's a gotaway? It's a person who got away. People that didn't get identified, didn't get uh, addressed who they are. Are they a terrorist or not? These are people who ran away. So who would run away? 
If everybody knows, all you have to do is cross the border, give them your name, and you get to stay. You get a phone, you get a gift card, you get a hotel, you get an airplane ticket. Why would you run away? Why would you not just go across and go, hey, here I am. Give me my stuff. I'm in America. Why would you take off and run? Well, let's speculate on that for a minute. Number one, you don't believe what everybody's telling you. And you think if you turn yourself in to Border Patrol that they're going to arrest you. They're going to beat. They're going to put you in cages, you know, like our lefty friends say. Um, They're going to send you back. So instead, I'll just run away. I'll take off and I'll find my way into the country. Well, as I cross the border, I'm good. Okay, I think there's probably some of those. So you know what? Why bother with all this nonsense? Let's just go. But then again, I bet there are people who are coming here to do to do bad, to do evil, and they don't or they have criminal records. They're murderers. They've been released from mental hospitals. They've been released from prisons in these countries to empty out their problems and send them north. Like uh, the Cubans did during the Cuban Mariela boat lift. They emptied out their prisons and their mental institutions. Send them to America. Right? Not all the people. Not all of them. No. Lots of them. And this is what our friends on the left will do is they will they will try to conflate um, the fact that you may have concerns that a million people got away. So who could they be? People who want to do bad, who want to hurt you, want to injure you, terrorists who want to come here and do things. You know, we're finding people from from the Middle East, from China, from Russia, all these people that have problems with America coming across the border. So as a million of them got away and you say to yourself, hey, listen, who are those gotaways? We caught 300 and something terrorists who might want to come here now and attack us. Uh, How many other of those millions are terrorists who may want to hurt us or kill us? Or how many people are criminals? How many how many of our robbers and rapers? How many are murderers? How many are drug dealers? How many people are, are bringing people for sex slavery? Oh, if you ask that question, you're a hater. You're a racist. You're a hater for asking that question. That is how the, the, the left uses, not, not, the, not the average Democrat in America who just believes in doing the right thing, because I have family and friends who are Democrats. They, they're not like that. It's the, the leadership and the, these, these people who are just energized by this uh, stuff. They want socialism. It's going to be changed. These people conflate being good and being decent and worrying about people with racism if you don't agree with it. So what? So there's a million that got away. They're not racist. They're not killers. They're not this and that. And if you say that, you're a racist. This is how the left uses words against us. And since they control the media, if you are called a name, there's no way you can protect yourself. And that's when I joke about, uh, you know, these people who are taking notes about Lieutenant Joe in their basement because their job is to shut me up. And all I do is ask questions. I ask questions and I give my opinion and they don't like my opinion. So like many things that we have seen in the last bunch of years, when people on the left don't like what you have to say, they want to silence you, deplatform you, uh, censor you, arrest you, put you in jail, knock you off ballots. See? So when you look at all of that, you say to yourself, does that increase your freedom or does that lessen your freedom? Well, it seems to me like it lessens your freedom. And that's how we look at all of these things. So fentanyl is overrunning our country. People are being sold into sex slavery. We see now our cities are busting. Our cities are breaking down because of the number of people brought into the country. They are brought in 
by the millions now, and they are funneled to our cities who do not have the capacity to take care of millions of people who cannot take care of themselves. They need health care. They need housing. They need food. They need clothing. They need everything provided for them by the state. And we're seeing these breakdown in these cities, and it's causing problems. Now we're seeing not all but many of these migrants that are coming in, they don't have stuff, they need stuff, so they're turning to crime. Now, some of them came here to commit crime. We're saying, how do you get a gang of 12 people that came from a country, don't know each other, and all of a sudden, they're very sophisticated phone-stealing street robbery groups. Well, they came here to do that. They did that in their country, and now they're bringing it here. And we're seeing people suffer here in America because of it. So open borders. While it might sound nice, oh, it's so good, let people come in, they just want to be free, they want to live a life. There is a lot of pain and suffering for people who are coming and for people who are already here. And that is why the borders must be closed. Do we have to fix our system? Yes, we should fix our system. It's probably outdated. It's not correct. Should we do that? Yes. But first, you have to stop the bleeding right? Somebody gets injured. Uh, you don't go in. Let's do a, uh, uh, they get shot in the arm and they're bleeding. Let's go in and let's go in and do their appendix now. No, you don't, you don't do things ass backwards. First thing you do is stop the bleeding. So the first thing we have to do is shut off the borders, close them off. No more people coming in illegally. Oh my God, that's heartless. Lieutenant Joe, that it's not heartless. People don't have a right to come here. We have a process for people to come in. Do we have to fix that process? Yes, we do. I agree. But people don't have a right to come here. Over, look what happens. When the left gets what they want, open borders, what they've screamed for for years, their compassionate open border, look at the victimization of the people who are coming and of the people who live here and the difficulty it has caused. This is not because anybody hates anybody. That is a red herring. That is something they throw at you to stop you from being able to speak. Because there's a bigger prize at the end. A lot of our friends on the left honestly believe, and you can hear it, you can hear it already. When you come in illegally, they give you phone, food, hotel, plane, and they send you to a city and they tell you, you have to report to court about your situation in eight, nine, or ten years from now. Eight, nine, or ten years you realize how ridiculous that is, absurd that is? Because in 10 years, are you going to be able to find those people? No. When they had shorter court dates come back in six months, we didn't see anybody. Very few people showed up. Now they have 10 years. And if they do show up, and it turns out that they've done bad things while they're here, or they had problems, or they were criminals in their other country, do you think our friends on the left are going to let us deport them? You know what they're going to say? They've been here for 10 years already. You can't send them home. They've had children. They had families. They have live roots in the community. And they're all going to stay. And their goal is that, okay, well, if they live here, they have to be able to vote. And we've already seen many, many communities, uh, many, many um, blue state communities, cities say, well, illegals can vote in the local election because it affects them. They shouldn't even be here but we're gonna let them vote. We're gonna give them driver's license. We're gonna make them as normal as possible. All for what purpose? So that they can vote. You see, so what, what's, what is um, masqueraded 
as a compassionate, decent thing to do. Poor people who have nothing in their home country want to come here for a better life. Who can argue with that? So they cloak the reality of what they want. It's millions and millions of uh, dependent people who will vote for them for more things as opposed to coming here for a better life. And that's just the truth. That's what it is. That's the bottom line. Nobody will talk about it. <clears throat> Very few anyway. And they deny. And if you bring it up, you're a racist, you're a hater, you're a this, you're a that. Because they can't talk about the facts. And that's what's unfortunate. You know who I feel bad for? I feel bad for people who live in other countries whose life is not like it is in America. I feel bad for them. We have a process for them to come here. They apply. And if they have something to bring to value to our society, we let them in. I think that's good. We need people. We absolutely need migrants. But I feel bad for the people who were trafficked along the way, who were sexually assaulted, abused, people who were then sold into sex slavery here in America, who will suffer every day of their lives because of this, uh, this false compassion. Oh, do the right thing when they really just want voters and they don't care about the suffering of these people. I care about the suffering of these people. That's why closing the border, fixing the laws that let people in, how we let that do a process we use is all important. But we have got to stop the bleeding first. And the bleeding is an open border with people pouring in, causing havoc on their side and on our side and pain and suffering for everybody involved with the situation. Ask yourselves, ask yourselves, does this make you more free or less free? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Does this make the country great? Or does this make the country spin around the bowl heading down? It's a decline. It is a human tragedy, which is being allowed to happen. President Biden could stop it tomorrow by going back to the things Trump did. But we hate Trump, so we're not going to ever do that. Meantime, humans suffer. Where do you stand on this? Do you like the suffering because you hate the orange man? Or are you a decent human being who wants to stop this suffering and create a better system? That's something to think about, my friends. So listen, until we meet again, have a great day. Be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem.